This morning, if you want my notes, you can text notes to the number that comes on the screen. And what is in front of me will be sent to you. How many ready to eat this morning? Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse 8, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven that we find in Acts chapter 6. And they stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands. And he said, the Holy Spirit says, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Verse 12, when we heard this, we, the people there, urged him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, and since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. I came to tell you this morning, when you put on the belt of truth, you are wearing dunamis. Let's pray. So Lord, we declare that your word is true. We declare, let every man be a liar. We declare your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe upon the word you wrote. And I pray it would go from logos to rhema. I pray it would become alive today. I pray you would give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand what your spirit is saying. Lord, we declare today no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome. So we say every other spirit, you must go. We say fear, you must go. We say the father of lies, you must go. We say only the spirit of truth may remain. For, uh, Holy Spirit, we declare we don't make room for you but we give you the entire realm lord i thank you no one came to hear me we all came to hear you so we say speak lord your servants are listening and all god's people said amen, amen. and amen so we've been stewarding a prophetic word all year long on this word of dunamis. What is dunamis? It means to strengthen and fortify. When the Holy Spirit's power goes from resting on you to abiding in you all year long. At the beginning of the year, I showed you what we'd be teaching from the pulpit. And we're more than halfway through and we've covered so many foundational issues or sound doctrine issues in the faith. We've talked about uh, the prophetic word of dunamis. We've talked about strengthening and fortified by, by understanding sin and salvation and heaven and hell and eschatology. Uh, we did a summer of prayer. We've been going through all of these things where we have been fortifying our faith through understanding sound doctrine. And now we're going to continue through the rest of the year of doing the same thing as we do a series called Wearing Dunamis, or it's a series on the full armor of God. The full armor of God is found in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read it to you. It says, finally, brothers, be strong in the Lord, the strength of his might, and put on the whole armor of God. Someone say the whole armor. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. That's spiritual warfare. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor. Someone say whole armor that you may able to withstand the evil day. Having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your shoes, feet, having the readiness of giving over the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which can extinguishing the fiery darts of the evil one. And taking on the helmet of salvation, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to the end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for the saints someone say amen, amen. it's wild i had these topics on my heart at the beginning of the year so i, I go away like we've already planned out almost 90 percent of what will be taught from the pulpit in 2024 and 2025 and so this is, this is part of my job. I go to spend time with the Lord and I hear from heaven on his heart for you. And then we begin to plan and steward years in advance what we're bringing to you. That's why when you come to Mercy Culture, you get fed good because we've been working on years on seeking the Lord for here. You know, some people are like, well, I know, how can you hear God that far in advance? Because God's outside of time. 
He's the Alpha and Omega. And it's this beautiful thing. If you ask him, he will talk to you. You just got to ask him. It's a beautiful thing about daily encounters. You get in the presence of God and it's so easy to hear him. So we've been asking him, what's his heart for the next year, the next year? And so when I was asking him his heart, he was giving me all of these core foundational sound doctrine issues that we needed to cover this year. And then the other thing I felt in my heart was at some point this year, we were supposed to cover the full armor of God. But here's the cool thing. I wrote down all of these these, uh, subjects that I felt like the Lord wanted us to teach to make sure that you were strengthening and fortifying your faith. And then when I got to the full armor of God and I re-looked at it, put the screen up uh, of the full armor. Watch this, of just the words. The foundational topics of the full armor of God are the topics you need to understand for sound doctrine to fortify your faith. So when we are engaging or when we're teaching or where we're fortifying through the full armor, what you're really doing is you're strengthening the foundations of your faith. And so we're going to be hitting one of these every single week throughout the rest of the year. And every single time we teach on one of these things, we are going to be putting on dunamis. Can I get an amen? amen. Now, the wonderful thing about the full armor of God is I've been putting the full armor of God on since I was a child. My grandma used to take us to school in the morning, and she was a, a, a loud, long prayer. And, and we would barely get the full armor, armor of God on every morning on the way to school because how long she prayed over each and every one. But we would put it on every single morning as we went to school. And it so impacted me that I started doing this with my children as they went to school. I started when Peyton was going to K-4 and we begin to put on the full armor of God. And then we introduced it to Preston and the younger ones here, the older kids do it. And now we got Porter and he's four years old. And now he knows the full armor of God because he's been listening to his brother and sister put it on every day on the way to school uh, uh, for years. And so if a four-year-old can memorize and put this on, you can too. I'm going to show you my four-year-old. He's going to teach you the full armor of God. Watch this video. Paul, Paul Jackson Portal Adam shot. And how old are you? Four. Do you go to MC Prep? Yes. Awesome. Do you know the full armor of God? Yes. All right, show me. The helmet of? Salvation. The breastplate of? Righteousness. The belt of? Truth. The boots of? Readiness. The shield of? Faith. And the sword of the? Spirit. You got it. And that's cute, and sometimes when we t- uh, talk about the full arm of God, we think of four-year-olds, or you think of the little cut-out uh, piece of paper your kids got from Children's Church with the little armor on there, and it's so cute, and, and, and because they're so cute, and we teach it in children's ministry, sometimes you can think it's for children. And so, let me just ask this question that people ask, is the full armor of God for, just for children? And the answer is yes, all of God's children. The 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds, and 60-year-olds, too. Listen, this is not something that's just cute for children. But this is actually how we engage in spiritual warfare. Heather and I were youth pastoring in the early days of our marriage, and she had a meeting with a young girl who was tormented by demons. And as she's at a restaurant with this girl, this girl starts manifesting. Everywhere Heather goes, people manifest stuff. She's got that anointing on her life. It doesn't matter if it's a, a lunch or if it's a preaching service. They start manifesting. And so this, and this was the early days of ministry. So this girl started manifesting stuff. And, and, and Heather was like, I, I need to get out of here. This wasn't before. She would just call out and have the whole church pray in the Holy Ghost and cast stuff out. And so she came home and this demonic spirit that tormented this girl followed Heather. So... We're in bed at night, and all of a sudden, she's like, did you see that? Did you hear that? There was something taunting her in our bedroom. Now, I got the anointing of sleep on my life. <laughs> I could sleep anywhere, anytime. I believe naps are not only my love languages, but you're never closer to God than when you're napping because Jesus took naps. It's biblical. So I'm trying to sleep and she's waking me up because she's being tormented and I stand up and I'm irritated. I was like, we're putting on the full armor. In in our bedroom at night as newlyweds, we start putting on the full, or physically putting on the full armor, declaring for this spirit to go and the Holy Spirit to come. I want you to hear me today. The full arm of God is not for children. It is for all of God's children. And hear me today. You do not grow out of the full arm of God. You actually grow into it. 
So I'm going to give you some practical advice in your daily encounter. Put it on every day. Put it on every day. We're actually going to send out on our social media screenshots of just ways you can remember to pray and put this on. But put on the full arm of God every day. Someone say every day. Former God is found in the, the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is in the, the middle of the New Testament, and it's the Apostle Paul who's authoring a letter to the church of Ephesus. Now, Paul was once known as Saul, and he was the greatest persecutor of the church. And after encountering Jesus, he became one of the greatest persecuted of religious people for the sake of the gospel. See, he was one of the greatest servants of the church and end up writing two thirds of the New Testament. Ephesus or Ephesians was a book that Paul wrote as a letter to this church. Ephesus was on the west coast of Asia Minor, which you would call Turkey today. So this is where that city is located. Originally settled by the Greeks in 133 BC, and then uh, Augustus made it Rome's capital in 27 BC. There was a lot that went on in this time in the world. We saw Paul was there for two years preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 19 and 20. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 32, Paul talks about that he fought the beasts of Ephesus. What he was referring to is that there was evil men with great spiritual warfare that he encountered in Ephesus. So now it makes sense where he's writing about spiritual warfare because that's where he felt some of the greatest spiritual warfare. So he gives these letters to a man named Tychicus, and he brings this letter to the church of Ephesus in Colossians in Philemon through this letter. So the letter is a book called Ephesians, which gives us the foundation of so many areas of sound doctrine. Now this is really important because there's a bad theology that goes around where people take and pick portions of the Bible and they determine what is, is for them. And so if it's not speaking to Jews, then if it's only speaking to Jews, then it's not speaking to them. Or if it's only speaking to Gentiles, or if it's only speaking to, you know, one-arm uh, uh, individuals, it's only talking to Zacchaeus, who's a short person, then then it doesn't have to do with me. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to exclude themselves from being accountable to sound doctrine because they, they, there's this poor theology of, of determining what in the Bible is or is not for me. And that's bad doctrine. It's poor theology. And so anytime God is giving directions to anyone, he's teaching his disciples. So the book of Ephesians is written to the church of Ephesus who are a group of believers. So the book of Ephesians is for, someone say believers. There's two main themes in Ephesians. Two major sections. There's doctrinal and practical. The doctrinal chapters are chapters 1 through 3. The practical fall in uh, 4 through 6. And in chapter 6, there's an emphasis on the spiritual life and spiritual warfare. There's two main attacks that Paul warns about. The first is the temptation to compromise to worldliness. This is all in the, about the book of Ephesians. And the second is the lack of unity in the church, especially at the time, between Jew and Gentile. But why Watch this. So Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, which is a letter to Ephesus. Watch this. From prison. Paul spent majority of his ministry from prison. So now he's sitting in prison, a Roman prison, looking at Roman guards wearing their armor. And as he's bound in prison, he realizes that they are wearing a certain kind of armor, but so is he. And in the middle of a jail cell, the Lord gives him this revelation that I am wearing a different kind of armor. I personally wonder if there was angels in there, warring angels with them, showing them the armor that they were wearing. And he said, I want to wear that kind of armor. This is what Paul was doing. This is the, the backsplash or the backdrop of Ephesus. Paul is putting on in the middle of prison, watch this, dunamis power. Do you know your circumstance don't determine when you wear power? 
Do you know despite what you're going through does not determine how, how disappointing your year may or may have not have been or what your circumstance say that doesn't, that doesn't di dictate when you put on your spiritual armor or where you wear dunamis. Paul is engaging in spiritual warfare. Someone say spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? Spiritual warfare is challenging for so many people because unspiritual people cannot only, they can only fight what they can see. They cannot fight what they can't see. Or they can only fight in the natural or carnal. See, spiritual warfare is fighting spiritual forces that we don't see. That's why so many people don't engage in proper spiritual warfare. Or when you think you're fighting spiritual warfare, you're actually just fighting people and not the spirits behind the people. Because spiritual warfare is not fighting people. Church, if you are fighting people, then you're already losing in spiritual warfare. Let me give you some practical advice today. When you're experiencing spiritual warfare, take your focus off of people. It, sometimes those people will distract you. And you'll end up thinking about them, how they're demons. No, they're being influenced by demons. Watch, but those demons have both of you distracted with each other. When your focus needs to be on the source of it. Someone say spiritual warfare. When I was praying for you this week, I heard the Holy Spirit tell me and say this, you are not your own worst enemy. And I heard lies that were spoken over you when I was in prayer. And some of you have been so distracted, watch, with you. And you, uh, something's wrong with me and I can never get it right. And I always mess up and I always fall and, and I'm a failure. And all of a sudden you start saying all of these things over you. And you've gotten distracted with spiritual warfare, but it's not with other people. It's with you. Because your focus has been on you instead of your focus on what is unseen. Someone needs to get free of that today. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, brothers, be strong. Someone say strong. In the Lord and in the strength of his might. I love this. That word strong is the word enedemao, which means to empower. I love this. This word strong is related to the word dunamis. But this word strong means this, that his dunamis power is empowered on you or it's transferred to you. I love this. When, what Paul is saying is, watch, is when you begin to put on the full armor of God, that is when this dunamis power that we've been talking about for the last year goes from just resting on you or around you or a topic you're talking about, watch, to be transferred to you. It's when God's power, he gives it to you and you become empowered. Someone say empowered. That's what the full armor of God does. It empowers you with God's dunamis. Verse 11 says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Someone say schemes. What is the scheme of the devil? Or another translation says the wiles of the devil. This is an art or skill or cunning devices and attempts to delude, distract, or destroy you. This is what the enemy does. He tries to distract you through a skillful, cunning attempt to destroy you. Ephesians 6, 12 goes on to say again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against these rulers, authorities, against the cosmic power of present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. What are these rulers and authorities? These are principalities or what they are is high-ranking demons. Paul is talking about high-ranking demons that we're really at war with. I taught a message a few years ago, it's on our YouTube channel, on unseating principalities. And it will give you strategic spiritual warfare strategies on how to engage in healthy, proper, and victorious spiritual warfare. If you have not listened to your message, or that message, it is paramount for you to engage in proper spiritual warfare. So Paul goes on, I've had you say this a few times as I read it this morning. In Ephesians 13, he says, Now therefore take up the whole armor of God. Over and over and over, the scripture says whole armor. Someone say whole armor. 
Another translation says full armor. What is the whole armor or full armor? It comes from a word that we get panoply, which means it's offensive and defensive, or no part is exposed to the enemy. When you put on the full armor, it is a completeness leaving no point unguarded by carelessness, which may be fatal for you on an enemy's attack. If I could break this down in the simplest form, it means this. The enemy has no open doors or open windows to your life when you're wearing the full armor. And that's why we're going to dedicate the rest of the year to this, because there's some people you grow in your, your relationship with the Lord in one area, but there's these other areas that you haven't grown in, and so you're susceptible or you're weak in these areas. And Paul says, listen, I want you to put on the full armor because I don't want any area of your life to be weak. Or he's saying this, I want you to be fully strengthened and fortified. When we put on the full arm of God, we are strengthening and fortifying our faith. Someone say, put it on. So multiple times throughout the text, it tells us to put it on. Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans 13, 12 says to put on the armor of light. Romans 13, 14 says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so important, church. The armor is made to be worn. Over and over it tells us to put it on. And nowhere ever are we told to take it off. My first spiritual father was a prophet of God named John Paul Jackson. He mentored me on a weekly basis for years before he went to go be with Jesus. And I remember him telling me one day, he said, Landon, I never take off my armor. And I'm confused. I'm like, I wonder if I take off mine. He said, every day I put it on and I never take it off. He told me one time that he had a dream and in the dream he was sleeping in his armor and there was demons around him trying to pull off his armor but they couldn't get his armor off even when he was sleeping. Church, we are called to wear this full armor and never take it off. So how do you begin to wear this full armor of God? You begin to walk in its attributes. When you put on the full armor of God, you are putting on, watch this, the characteristics of Jesus or the image of Jesus. Literally, when you put on or wear the full armor of God, you are wearing the characteristics or you are wearing the image of Jesus. This morning, we're going to talk about the first part of the full armor of God in chronological order. Scripture says that we have a belt of truth. Ephesians 6.14 says this, Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Someone say truth. Truth defined is this, that which is reliable or factual or a reality. In the Old Testament, the most common term for truth was the word emeth in the Hebrew. And it means a firmness or factually. What it means this is something that was truth was firm and unbreakable. When something is true, there's a soundness to it. There's a reliability to it. Or watch this, American church needs this. There's a reality to it. Do you know there's over a thousand scriptures in the Bible that speak to truth? In the Old Testament, we see a constant pointing to truth. In the New Testament, we see that pointing to truth is Jesus. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said, I am the way, someone say, the truth and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. John 8, 31 says, so Jesus said to the Jews, we have believed him. If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Lies don't set you free. Truth sets you free. Proverbs 23, 23, I love this. Pastor Steve, you'll love this. The proverb says, buy truth and do not sell it. Proverbs is showing the value of what truth is. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Whoever desires people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
Truth will lead people to salvation because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But church, there is a demonic attack on truth. We are seeing a spiritual war. Remember Ephesians 6, it is a spiritual battle. So we are seeing a spiritual war, a demonic attack on all things truth. John 8, 44 says, you and your father, the devil, you will do to your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Speaking about Satan, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. Jesus called Satan the father of lies. So watch. So Jesus is the truth and Satan is the father of lies. Where did we first learn about the father of lies? In Genesis chapter 3. In the middle of the garden. The first thing he begins to say. The first thing out of his slithering mouth. Watch. Is a lie. He begins to deceive Adam and Eve, watch, and he tells them that they need to eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden, which it was the tree of what? Knowledge. What was the first lie about? What is really true. The first strategy of the enemy was to get mankind to partner with the knowledge that wasn't for them. Then it continues. This is so important that in Leviticus, God makes telling the truth a Ten Commandments because it went from lying in the garden to lying everywhere. So now the father of lies is creating sons and daughters that lie and it's spreading lies and deception across the earth. So in the middle of the Ten Commandments, put Leviticus 19 up there, in the middle of the Ten Commandments, this is God saying, this is my top ten for you to get your stuff together. This is my top ten for you to be start to be behaving like me. And in the middle of the Ten Commandments, here it is. It says, don't lie. That's how important it is to God. Truth is, is we are commanded not to lie. Then we see it just escalating in Romans chapter one. It's talking about the fall of humanity. And in the fall of humanity, Romans chapter one, put Romans up. It says this, that they gave themselves over to a debased mind by abandoning the truth. It said this, you exchanged the truth of God for a lie. See, we have watched this continue to progress throughout the generations. Now what we see in America today is something that's called postmodernism, And here's what it means is there are no absolute truths. Or oh, do you remember this over the last 20 years? Everybody would say stuff like your, uh, your friend Oprah would say stuff. Well, it's my truth. And this is my truth. And everyone has my truth. And it was about 20 years of everybody and their silly my truths. And whatever's true for you and whatever you believe it, as long as you really believe it. And this is my truth. But there was a strategy to this. I told you the war on truth is demonic. There was a demonic strategy that really what they went around doing is telling everybody that nothing was truth. No, your truth isn't true. No, your truth, my truth, my truth might be true. Your truth might be true. But really nothing is true. And here's what they did is they made for years nothing be true to anyone. One, so they could begin to inject their lies. So now we're in this place where they're like, no, there's 400 genders. No, and that's now truth. And if, and, and if you say it's not true, you're a hateful bigot. Or you just got your belt on. No, no, there's a war on truth because the American, the American Health Society is trying to provide hundreds of thousands, excuse me, millions and millions of dollars for taxpayers' money to help trans men get pregnant. That's your taxpayers' money at work for you. Because there's a war on truth. No, no, you have to see this. They have deconstructed anything that could look like truth so that nothing is true. So you believe the lie that nothing is true, but now there's a bait and switch that you must believe my truth. And you have been manipulated. You have been 
tricked or the father of lies is at work so that we will embrace the lies of the world. Why is this so important? Because if nothing is true, if they can break down all truth, it means this, that God's word is not true. There's a war on truth. Why? Because Jesus is true. So the war on truth is not about gender. It's about Jesus. Isaiah 520, I love the scripture. I've been talking about it for a year. Has said, it says this, woe to those that call evil good and good evil. Church, we are living in the day that the prophet Isaiah prophesied where men now call evil good and good evil. And watch, the church has taken off the belt of truth. Because we don't want to be offensive, we've taken off truth. Because we don't want to sound judgy, we've taken off the truth. And it has nothing to do with judgment or not. God will handle judgment. And side note, we are called those to judge those inside the church. That's how iron is sharpened iron. But what we've done is we've said, okay, I'm going to take off the belt of truth. And now we're going to try to engage in Christianity without truth. And it is impossible. And the church needs to put the belt of truth back on. I'm going to preach to you now. Every time you use someone's preferred pronoun, you take off the belt of truth. Every time you, you give in and acknowledge or affirm gay marriage, you take off the belt of truth. Every time you think it's okay to be living with the person that you're sleeping with that you ain't married to, you take off the belt of truth. Every time you believe that abortion is health care, you take off the belt of truth. Every time you affirm that there's 3,000 different genders, you take off the belt of truth. I'm telling you right now, we have a beltless church, and that's why we've seen people abandon the truth of God. And they were so confused. I like how the people stare at you like, like you just don't know a thing when they're telling you their lie with so much passion. It is not that complicated. We bought some chicks in our home. And we bought all girl chicks. Because we don't want any more. We ordered eight, they gave us nine. The devil's a liar. But I know if I get a boy one in there, we won't get the eggs that we wanted. It'll be a different kind of eggs. Watch, it's obvious for chickens. How do you have Supreme Court justices who can't define what a woman is? Because the belt of truth is off. Oh, mind you, they all go to churches. They claim Christianity. Oh, they thank God. But they are not wearing the belt of truth. Hear me today, church. The church must put the belt of truth back on. Because if you don't, you will not know the difference between what is really evil and what is really good. And you're going to have to get over this cowardly fear that you've embraced that people not, might, might not like you. Listen, they don't like his truth. And if you got a belt of truth on, you might not be invited over to the holidays. If you get, wear the belt of truth, you might not be invited into the fantasy football league. If you wear the belt of truth, you might not be invited over to the get-togethers. You might not be invited to that business investment group. You might not be invited when you're wearing, wearing the belt of truth. But here's what I know, is what God calls love, now they call hate. There's hundreds of us from here that went down to Austin when SB 14 was being passed, and that was a spiritual fight. As Representative Nate Schatzlein and others are arguing for this bill, you have grown men wearing dresses, standing in the balcony, lifting up their dresses, showing their genitals. Now, honest with you, I'm so thankful for the grace and the mercy of God that this bill passed 
and no longer is it legal to have sex changes on minors in Texas. But I was so grieved at the same time because out of the 300 Christians that were there, about 200 of them were from Fort Worth and Mercy Culture. Where was the church? Where were pastors? As we're golfing and on our vacation and, and building our portfolios, who cared about the possibility of the law going another direction? Who was grieved by that? And here's what I learned the most. The activists are so much more committed, loyal, and organized than the church. Oh, no, because we've been preaching God just wants to bless you for the last 20 years. So you're running around from church to church picking up the blessings till you get bored of that church to find another church that will tell you a new way for God to bless you. As the world's going to hell, we're collecting our blessings. Go listen to the Blessable series. Your job is to bless God, not Him bless you. So watch, but this is what shocked me. His, I, I, I follow all the trans activists, I follow all the gay activists, the biggest leaders in our state on this, I follow them all. And, and what, I, what I notice is this, is they say the exact same things that we say. Literally holding their signs, posting their social media. We have to protect our children. We have to have health care for our children. No, 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 health care is not cutting off a 12-year-old's private parts. No, we have to have health. We, no, we have to protect our kids. No, no, we need to protect our kids from you. We have to protect that, them from the hatefulness of the church. No, 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 no. It's hateful to transition children sexually. Church, listen to me. They are saying the same things. Their posts are the same posts with different logos. But do you have your belt on? Oh, and then they get parents up there and start crying. And this is where the Christians that haven't strengthened and fortified fold. Because then you got a parent saying, oh, I don't want my kid to kill themselves. And if they don't have this law passed, they might kill themselves. It's like, okay, so you're cutting off their private parts, threatening death for everyone. No, that sounds intense because we all love children but you're trying to hold a state hostage by your Jezebelic manipulation. Oh, I saw every characteristic of, of Jezebel in my book on display at the Capitol that week. They yelled, they screamed, they foamed at the mouth, and they cried. And person after person after person, you say, Pastor, you don't sound very empathetic. No, 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 the church has taken off their belt. And I'm trying to get you to see, to put truth back on. Because if you're not wearing truth, you will lose in spiritual warfare. I need 10 more minutes on that clock. I'm back. I'm going to give you this morning three false teachings that have made their way into the church. I keep mentioning to you false teachers. I'm going to bring in false teaching. I'm not going to name anyone's name, but you can connect the dots. I don't think it's healthy to name names. I don't want you to focus on a name. I want you to focus on content. I want you to focus on sound doctrine. I want you to focus on theology. Now, I want you to grow. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to grow up. Turn to your second choice say, you too. Turn to the person behind you and say, don't judge me. Okay, listen. You have to understand the difference between false teachers and immature teachers. So a false teacher, a false prophet is someone that intends to deceive. They're deceptive. They're dangerous. They're evil. I have people all the time, you know, they, they, they send me videos of, of celebrity pastors and saying stupid things that are poor theology. And they're like, look at this false teacher. I'm like, that's not a false teacher. It's a Christian entertainer. Like, I genuinely believe that dude's not a bad dude. He just says ignorant, unbiblical things that actually harm people's faith because he doesn't know what God's Word says. So he's trying to be liked by people saying catchy things that's not theologically sound that hurts people.
The worst thing is majority of people don't know that. And they're like, oh, amen, that sounds so good. Especially when you put the music behind it, it's amazing. So good, it's actually so unbiblical. But most places, you just ring the little dinner bell of church, play some music, and start shouting. Everyone's like, I love like, like, no, no. That's the devil. So you have to know the difference between what is a wicked individual that's trying to deceive people and someone that maybe just shouldn't be pastoring. Okay? So there are many I, we could be here all day, all week, all month, talking about false doctrines and false teachings that are making their way into the church. you got stuff like the counterfeit grace movement that, that, that nullifies repentance. You have the prosperity gospel that perverts God blessing people. There's a lot of different things that we can cover, but these are the top three things that were on my heart that I wanted to mention today. And so the first one is something that's called universalism. Universalism is a demonic doctrine that offers freedom but only brings bondage and spiritual death. Universalism does not believe the Bible's infallible or incapable of making mistakes or being wrong. They do not believe the Bible is absolute truth. To be clear, universalists do not believe the Bible. Now don't be fooled when someone has one of these things on their desk that they don't believe in or when it's on the bookshelf of their house, but they don't honor what it says. Universalism does not believe Jesus is divine. It rejects the need of salvation. It projects a love that's incomplete. It believes people are good and everyone gets saved without repentance. Do you understand that destroys the entire gospel? So if you just automatically get saved because people are good and God's good and God's everywhere and everyone's going to make it to heaven anyway, then there was absolutely zero point for Jesus dying. Universalism is birthed out of confusion. It's fueled by witchcraft. It uses Christian words and biblical concepts to draw people into counterfeit theology. 1 John 4, 3 says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard, who's coming now and is in the world already. Church, I have a warning for you. Beware of the mirror Bible. If you have one of these, get rid of it. It's a path that leads to universalism and will reject God's word. The mirror Bible is to universalism what pornography is to adultery. And people are like, oh, there's this cool new, oh, it's, it sounds really good and it's this thing. No, no, no. But the heart of it is absolutely deceptive. Get it out of your house, warn your friends. Number two false teaching has made their way into the church. I'm just calling it a religious spirit. A religious spirit is when you welcome any spirit but the Holy Spirit. The religious spirit puts rules and barriers between man and God. The spirit of religion is mean and hateful. They hate sin and they hate the sinner. The religious spirit tries to make hard, uh, tries to make hard and complicated what God has already made easy. It has an appearance of godliness, but denies the power of God. 2 Timothy 3.5 says that very thing. An appearance of godliness, but denies the power of God. The religious spirit resists the move of the Holy Spirit like the Pharisees resisted Jesus. And the only thing a religious spirit hates more than a move of the Holy Spirit is women in ministry. The third false teaching has made their way into the church is what we know as wokeism. Wokeism is a lukewarm Christianity that's love for the world is greater than their love for Jesus. There's many other names for this. The modern definition is this wokeism, but it really is this. It loves the world and tries to be loved by the world that John 15, 19 warns about. Another way to describe wokeism is the spirit of the age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The spirit of an age is what the culture is currently worshiping. It's a counterfeit justice movement. It's social justice that tries to bring justice from God without the righteous judge who is God. 
It's fueled by compromise. It removes obedience and accountability and submission from the Christian vocabulary. Wokeism is when Christianity becomes popular and trendy. Wokeism is when your theology is formed by culture and not scripture. Wokeism has perverted the meaning of love and made for themselves a Christianity in their own image. But most of all, wokeism is when you are lukewarm as a Christian. Just for fun, I'm going to give you 10 signs you're going to a woke church. It's maybe for visitors or your friends. Number one, you don't believe in the authority of Scripture or that the Bible is the infallible Word of God. Number two, they take the both sides approach to the overturning of Roe v. Wade and refuse to celebrate or even worse, told you not to. Number three, the pastor says the Bible isn't clear or Jesus was silent on homosexuality. Number four, they promote, celebrate, or introduce their congregations to pro-abortion, anti-biblical value political candidates. Number five, diversity, equity, and inclusion are preached about more than righteousness, holiness, and truth. Number six, BLM flags and rainbow flags are displayed side by side. They avoid their, number seven, they avoid their responsibility for spiritual leadership on biblical issues that speak to the cultures with statements like, we don't want to be political. How many know that the churches that don't want to be political are actually the most political ones? Verse eight, they have replaced repentance of sin with tolerance from sin. Number nine, the church's cultural stance aligns with celebrity politicians that hate God more than the Bible. Number 10, they refuse to give clear answers on clear what and what the Bible clearly states and teaches on gender and homosexuality, transgenderism. Instead, they avoid these topics and apologize for what the Bible says. Church woke churches are not churches, they're activist groups in disguise. I had this guy on social media reach out to me and he's like, Pastor, you have to see this. There's a, a drag show hour at a church. We gotta do something about it. You know what my response was? It's not a church. It's not a church. The moment you've embraced that lie and it entered into a denomination that's an abomination, you're no longer a church. You are an activist group. I just told the guy, you're wasting your time. Go do something more productive. Watch. See, if you have the belt of truth on, you can see it really fast. Church, we have got to be individuals that are wearing the belt of truth so that we understand what's happening in the world. When we embrace the lies of false teaching, it will separate people from truly knowing Jesus. We're going to go back to our text this morning. I can have Pastor Ryan come and join me. Acts chapter 21. I had so much fun preparing to minister this week because I felt the Holy Spirit was just in front of me the entire time, just dropping breadcrumbs leaving me, leading me. Apostle Paul, who was this persecutor of Jesus, is now warned of persecution. He receives this prophetic word in Acts 21, the, the scripture that I opened up with, by a man named Agabus. Watch this. Who prophesied to the apostle Paul through a belt. He takes off Paul's belt and then he begins to tie himself up his hands and feet, and he begins to prophesy over Paul through a belt. And he says, this is what's waiting for you. Watch, but it wasn't the prophetic word his friends wanted for him. So his friend said, how about we just go to another prophetic service online or in a hotel? and just get a different word. Watch this. These were spiritual leaders, other prophets, and people that are fighting the good fight, bringing the gospel into the ancient world. 
And when they heard the word of truth, they said, Paul, no, 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 don't go there. Paul, no, 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 you got to be warned. Paul, you can't. And Paul's like, no, 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 you don't understand, guys. Not only am I willing to be persecuted, watch, for this truth. I'm willing to die for it. So when Paul is there in prison, the Romans thought that they tied him up with chains when he was actually already bound up in truth. See, that's why he said the prison cell isn't going to dictate my ability to wear this armor. My circumstances doesn't change my ability to wear this spiritual warfare. He was saying this, I'm going to wear dunamis despite my circumstance, despite my situation. Watch, despite what other Christians say. Oh, but isn't that the hardest when they tell you you're mean? Isn't that the hardest when they tell you you go to a political church? Isn't that the hardest when they, when they try to attack and you don't know what to say? And am I supposed to defend? And how am I supposed to respond? And what you just need to understand is that this church is tied up in truth. We're bound in it. And we're going to refuse to take it off. I remember a year ago, two weeks ago, on Presbytery Sunday when Tom Lane wasn't able to make it, but he sent a video and he said, he prophesied, he said the next 18 to 24 months is gonna be unres uh, unprecedented resistance. And I remember hearing that prophetic word, I'm like, great. Because it was a hard year for me. 39 attack articles, front page of papers, pastor defies RRS. Church members having to argue with demons about it. And then the next week, he gave me the revelation of joy. Watch. And I realized the truth was we got an invitation of 18 to 24 months unprecedented joy. Watch, 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 watch. See, when you're bound up in truth, no matter what you think is happening to you, you're not focused on the current circumstance. You are focused on what God said. That's why you can take whatever you're dealing with, whatever lies are coming against you, whatever you're being attacked with, you could take it in your daily encounter and you can say, Jesus, spirit of truth, tell me what's true. When you get in your word and begin to read it, you begin to declare and see and hear what God says is true. That's why I open up every single sermon and people have said, I don't like that you say that. And my response is, I don't care what you like. But when I begin to pray, I start declaring the word of God be true. Let every man be a liar. Let us, let, let's get past every lie of the enemy. Let's get past every, every distraction and let's hold tight to this truth. Watch. Do you know how true this was to Paul? He said, I used to kill people over this. And now I wear this truth so tight, I'm willing to die for it. You know you have the belt of truth on tight when you're willing to die for it.